get excited because we are tearing down bigotry, cisnormativity, homophobia, fascism, and all other systematically disadvantaging power structures that LGBTQ plus people are subjugated to, all in one episode. Are you ready? Of the communities targeted in United States' most recent onslaught of anti-LGBTQ plus discrimination, drag entertainers have been caught in the crossfire. As an institution, drag has been around for centuries, even making a debut in the plays of William Shakespeare, when, at the time, women were not allowed to act, so men took on roles of the opposite gender. Audience members cooed and laughed and paid tickets repeatedly to see plays like this. We see this today in the form of drag brunches. As a community, our health and wellness is tied to drag in multiple ways, given the mental health benefits of seeing a show and performers having a creative outlet. As well, physical health benefits exist in the form of drag entertainers being closely tied to the fight for queer rights, including passing out condoms to adults in bars or advocating for HIV AIDS testing. Drag entertainers, as we will discuss, have played an important role in providing health equity for queer people and non-queer people. Unfortunately, the emphasis on drag as inappropriate for children or being sexual in nature has been based in incorrect assumptions and overshadowed how the performance art has uplifted the health and well-being of both performers and viewers. We need to shed light on the beauty that exists in celebrating art forms like drag within the queer community. Many drag entertainers have been involved in politically active fights, including the Black Lives Matter protests. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, two historically famous drag queens, founded a place to house LGBTQ plus youth who were living on the streets of New York. Queer people may enter the drag scene to feel more connected to their community, and young children at a drag queen's story time may appreciate the words of a drag queen who reads stories of acceptance and respect for all people. These are all examples of the public health outcomes that we get from letting the drag community work their magic. To debunk the policies that fail to characterize drag as an uplifting and beneficial art form for our society, I have the pleasure of speaking to local Tennessee drag entertainer, Vidalia Ann Gentry, whose wisdom and activism in this space at the local and national level will inspire you and leave you something new to think about. Let's begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Equity Podcast. Today we have drag queen Vidalia and Gentry with us with cutting humor that will make you cry and an understated sweetness that keeps you coming back for more. Vidalia and Gentry is layers of fun. If that's too much flavor for you to handle, you can always call her Vag for short. Raised in Nashville, Vidalia is a proudly queer Tennessean who is as equally skilled with a makeup brush as she is a microphone. That started performing drag in 2015 at an amateur night in Nashville. Since then, she has competed in multiple pageants, won Miss Gay Tennessee US of A 2017, placed top 12 at Miss Gay US of A 2017, and developed her own brand of drag and queer-focused events, including nightlife parties, trivia and karaoke nights, and drag brunches and dinners. She has developed a name for herself as an MC, hosting shows headlined by Cody Ballou, Caitlin Butts, Kaylin Russo, an Amy Winehouse Memorial event, and Daughtry, and delivered the premiere performance of Fancy Haygood and Casey Musgrave's Blue Dream Baby. In 2022, Miss Gentry and partner Sia and Hill began producing SISSI Sissy, a queer competition, seeking to provide a place for Nashville's queer entertainers to showcase and hone their diverse talents, regardless of gender identity or presentation. 
In addition to performing and emceeing, Vidalia is an activist and leader in the Nashville and Middle Tennessee queer community, advocating for HIV AIDS education and prevention, trans and queer rights, reproductive rights, equal access to healthcare, and freedom of expression. She has held voter registration drives at multiple events, is the leader of the Music City Prep Clinic's Drag Nurses, and led 2023's Have a Heart Rally and a march in Sinan to protest hateful anti-LGBTQIA legislation in Tennessee. Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to the Equity Podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh, hearing all of that like read out loud, it's like, like yay, like I've done a bunch of stuff with my life, but it's like also, you know, like embarrassing to hear it all at once. You know, I have to tout on you because you have done all this incredible stuff and especially the activism we're going to get into and um, the leadership that you've been a part of. So yes, this is awesome. This is awesome. And I want to start with the background. Like many forms of expression in the queer community, the artistic expression of drag has been ridiculed, stigmatized, and even criminalized by people and institutions within the United States. People may be listening in right now who've never attended a drag show, and they may not be aware of why people get involved in the art in the first place. What importance does drag hold for you? So, I mean, you mentioned kind of like backgrounds. So I'm actually going to go a little bit before drag for me. So my um, background, I actually have um, degrees in music performance, classical music performance. I play the viola and the piano. Um, so I have a bachelor's and master's in that. So like being on stage has kind of always been something that I've strived towards, wanted to do, something I've always gravitated towards. Um, and then when I moved back home to Nashville um, in 2014, I was kind of just, you know, getting reestablished in the community, finding gay friends, figuring out what I wanted to do, um, and started chasing this boy who was a drag queen. Um, and so kind of through going to all of his shows, um, met a lot of the other drag entertainers in town. And then there was just kind of this period where like strangers and friends were suggesting I do drag and like an open stage night got announced. And in all of that, I was like, okay, like I'll give it a try. And then, you know, got on stage and loved it and really haven't looked back. So that was that was December of 2014 is when I started. So it's been like eight and a half years now. What music performance uh, were you in? Is this like instrumental, vocal? Yeah, so instrumental. Um, I started on piano when I was five years old and like a lot of little gay boys in Nashville and like Tennessee in the South in particular, like started at the church, of course. Um, that was the first stage I saw that I was like, uh, sitting in the pews is not for me. I want to be up there. Uh, and then I figured out that it wasn't talking about Jesus that I wanted to do. It was performing that I wanted to do. Um, so I started on piano at age five and then started playing viola when I was 10. And then, you know, when I finished high school, I went off to Eastman and uh, North Texas and you know, got my degrees in classical and then started doing drag. And that's kind of like why I found drag um, is kind of looking for a performance outlet, I think. Um, and I think for me, like the stage has always been the end goal. So drag is like a way to get on stage and to entertain and communicate with an audience was like a great fit. Right. Communicating with the audience, what you said there, and connecting with people. I love the drag shows I go to, but I'm sure when you connect with people, that's like a special moment as well when you're, you know, performing. Yeah. And I think like I I'm neurodivergent, like diagnosed ADHD, starting to question whether I'm somewhere on the autism spectrum as well. And I, I often find that like standard forms of human communication, like don't always vibe perfectly for me. So finding like other ways to connect with people, especially like through performance has been very rewarding and like also just kind of like helpful at navigating human life. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for adding that perspective too. You know what I mean? Like there's different ways people enjoy communicating and different ways that people enjoy delivering and receiving messages. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you found that and what you do. So that is amazing. Your power pose showing resistance against the anti-drag bill in Tennessee has been posted on several well-known news publications. I've also seen your Instagram stories speaking out on anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. I admire the passion you show to stand with the queer community and probably show your drag and what it means to fight for LGBTQ rights to the world. How did you first step into the activist space and how has that journey been for you? Um, it's funny calling it a power pose, but it is. It is a power pose. And that photo has gone just everywhere. It's become like the stock image of a protesting drag queen this year. Um, which, you know, it's been like kind of like a, I don't even know that double-edged sword is like the metaphor I want to use. But it's, you know, it's part of a fight that is not happening for a great reason. But the attention that's been brought to me as a drag entertainer and by extension the drag community here in nashville that i've worked very hard to build up over the last eight years like that's been kind of a silver lining in all of it um as far as like how i got into advocacy work i would say that like i've always been like a little more politically minded than the average bear like what the average bear in changes on any given day but i feel like i sit like more active, more involved, more kind of aware than like whatever the middle is on that day. I mean, I got involved in, like in high school, I was doing some anti-LGBTQ legislation protests, um, honestly at the exact same place that that photo was taken, which I mentioned that day um, in my remarks. Um, so it's always kind of been my energy, but I think where I really kind of like keyed into it, where I really was like, I'm clocked into advocacy work. Um, in 2017, so between winning the Tennessee US of A prelim, which is what sent me then to US of A that I placed top 12 at, between winning that where in my interview, I spoke about wanting to advocate for HIV, destigmatization, research, et cetera, between there and nationals, I was diagnosed with HIV. So that was kind of like, I already wanted to plug into that. Um, then I had like a personal, a more personal relationship to it. My, my uncle died of AIDS when I was like three years old. So this is not, you know, like HIV and AIDS conversations were not brand new to me by any means. Um, zero converting was like an emotional trauma, um, but more so based on like me thinking that it was going to like absolutely kill my mother, who's one of my good friends and anything. But when, when that happened, um, you know, I think there's something about being sort of faced with your your mortality um because for me it was like okay well what am i going to leave behind like what's my legend what's my legacy work um and so that kind of moment is where i think i really plugged into it where i was like okay what am i going to advocate for and then beyond that looking at sort of other people's legacy work especially in the drag sphere um there's a, a nashville drag legend bianca page um who is if not the only, like one of only two people, two drag entertainers to have a street named after them in the US. Um, she was HIV positive. Um, one of the quotes that I read early on in my drag career that's always stuck with me is like when Bianca was diagnosed, she didn't run from the diagnosis, she ran straight to a microphone. And so I've always kind of tried to live in that, in that path, in that mindset, through that mantra um, that 
my story can, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a drag entertainer. Like, I think that a lot of us, especially when we achieve any level of, like, local or national celebrity, we have to understand that we have a platform and that good and change can be affected through that platform by telling our stories. So that's kind of the broad and nuanced answer of, like, how I got involved in advocacy work. Like, it was always there. Um, my personal story, like, encouraged my path there. And then sort of, like, looking to lay down legacy work is kind of what brought it all together. Certainly. Certainly. And I, I want to get into this a little later, too, but I'll, you, you're saying that you're also involved with uh, uplifting and promoting the local um, drag scene in Tennessee, which is, I think, pretty incredible. And I uh, really love that you're doing that. Much of the language used to criticize drag performances in recent bills include suggestions that performances tend to be sexual and or obscene in nature. Another reason in opposition has suggested that minors will be particularly hurt by seeing a drag show or that a drag entertainer reading to a minor during story time would be inappropriate. What do you have to say to comments like these, which I'm sure you've heard many about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they're ridiculous. The comments are ridiculous. They're, they're overreaching. Um, they are manipulative. They're using children as a scapegoat. Um, but I think that, like, if we want to have a real conversation about, about where this is all coming from um, and the language used in the bills, um, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, here in a second, but it's, it's a distraction. It's a, it's a tool of fascism. Um, it's all kind of like this vague language. Um, and I think that we need to take a step back and, and look at the context of America as a nation founded, at least the version of it that we're in now, founded in Puritanism, founded in this hyper-conservative, puritanical version of white Christianity that has never gone away. Like, we're always living in the shadow of that. And I think if we're unaware of that, then we cannot progress away from that. Now, that's not to say that there is anything wrong with any one person choosing to be modest, choosing to be less promiscuous. There's nothing wrong with that. And and I don't disagree with, you know, current legislation regarding the age of consent. But performances, A, can be tailored by the performer to their specific audience. Like, beyond that, the perception of what is inherently sexual, the perception of sexuality is, is just that, it's a perception, it's the perceiver's burden. So if you have decided to perceive something as inherently sexual, that's really like your burden to deal with rather than to police my body because of whatever length my shorts are or whatever dance move I've made. Like nobody in drag is, is showing off their genitalia, nobody in drag is having actual sex acts committed on stage. Like, nobody is doing anything more, in most cases, than, say, Beyonce on stage at a concert, as far as dance moves or as far as costuming. I mean, it's all very similar. It's performance art. And if you look at, say, Bob Saget, um, Full House, America's Dad, people would definitely let their kids watch that. No issue at all. But they are not taking their kids to Bob Saget's stand-up show because he is filthy. And it's just kind of the same. Like, you'll see us at shows that are generally, like, all ages shows, but, like, generally attended by an 18 plus, 21 plus audience. Like, the moment there's a kid, like, recognized in the audience, like, we're tempering ourselves. Like, we're making choices about our performance. We're tempering our performance to that audience. You know, and, like, 
be like, what are we going to start? Are we going to extend this all the way to the point that we can legislate? Like if a parent says fuck in front of a child, they can be prosecuted. Like, is that the next step? Like language? It's all just a tool of fascism. Yeah. You say fascism and I think like systems that just seek to disadvantage us, uh, seek to place us in positions where we don't have power and tend to um, limit our voices. And so, you know, the podcast really is about health disparities. And I know that some people might be wondering, well, how is drag entertainment and how is like, you know, passage of bills uh, against performance like related to that. And I think a big thing I want to talk about today is how for certain people that is an outlet for them to really identify with others and to feel that they are a part of a community Um, and not just for queer people as well, but for the allies and for the other people who go to attend. Yeah. I mean, I can like, there's a lot I have to say about that. Um, I mean, let's just look at who all it's for and kind of like zoom out a little bit. I mean, not only the queer community and drag entertainers, but then artists, uh, musicians, allies, all of those people we're seeing, especially in Nashville right now, the the music community has been so connected with the drag community. I mean, people are doing music videos with drag entertainers, writing songs about drag queens and their involvement with this. I mean, there is a body of queer country music coming out in Nashville right now that are, it's queer country songs about drag queens coming out of Nashville, Tennessee. Like, that's, it, it's it's a holistic thing. Like, yes, we're looking at it at, in sort of this, like, micro level, but we also have to, like, zoom out and look at, like, what is this part of? What is the holistic community beyond, say, like, the Nashville... So, you know, you've got the Nashville drag community, then the Nashville queer community, then the Nashville artist community, then the Nashville community, then the Middle Tennessee community. We're all part of all of the things. We live in a society, you know? Um, And as that pertains to mental health, in the immediate, having an artistic outlet, having performances, a lot of the performances I do are free to attend. Like there's, we're not selling tickets to everything I do. So there's experiential art happening in Nashville that people of any creed can attend and experience joy from. And like, that's the point of performance art, or it should be for me is to, you know, provide some joy to your audience or at least provide a message to your audience of some sort. Some sort of communication has to happen across that fourth wall. Um, so I think that like as, as it pertains to mental health, giving that sort of creative outlet, that performance outlet, that's something to attend, that's something to be a part of, um, that's that. But then I think um, zooming out a little bit further and looking at physical health, um, For a lot of queer people, access to that is limited. And in Nashville, we have finally established a broader system um, that that provides better access to queer health or to health for queer people. Um, Music City Prep Clinic being an organization that's been great about that. Um, We also have Nashville Cares, which is primarily an HIV care um, system. But we're developing a broader system. But Nashville, I'm sorry, the Music City Prep Clinic Um, has used Nashville Drag Queens significantly as part of their marketing program, getting the word out to the community. So you've got that intersection there. And just having people who are these sort of figureheads and community leaders out there who who can disseminate information about health, who can then also act as liaisons between the community and these organizations. I mean, that's a very important part of the health of the community here, both health as in like a growing community, but then health as 
in the individuals within the community. Um, I think that we have to look at all sort of like legislative and policy situations as like not only how do they affect an individual, but how does it fit into the holistic picture? Great, great, great answer. And Music City Prep Clinic and Nashville Cares, I want to hopefully highlight in a description for the episode later on so people can definitely know more about that. You know, you you talked about physical health and yes, right? Why can't we have drag entertainers also be a part of that intersection, right, of promoting uh, healthy habits, promoting access to care, and delivering messages that uplift people when we're really going through trying times right now. Oh, I think that, especially in queer health, um, and, like, there are people that would be like, well, like, healthcare should be, you know, this this max level where, like, there is no stigma around anything and we talk about everything and that should be extended to all people. Yes, like, philosophically, I agree. But where we currently are, queer people in general, as a population, I think are more at risk for sexual health issues than, say, the general heterosexual population. It's a slight increase in risk, but I think that we do need to note it, especially because we are so disadvantaged as far as our access to healthcare in general. So I think that, you know, we talk about HIV destigmatization all the time, but I think we even beyond that, in that same conversation, have to talk about destigmatizing other STIs, destigmatizing um, just sex and sexuality in general, moving away from this puritanical, shame based sort of culture that makes getting tested embarrassing, that makes getting treated and being honest about your sexual partners embarrassing and shameful. It shouldn't be. Like, slut shaming is a, is like, it goes beyond being like, haha, you're a slut. Like, slut shaming is like a cultural mindset issue that exists in America that is part of the trickle down of Puritanism that's going to kill us all. Like, we have to move away from that. I mean, like, it's just embracing, it's just embracing, you know, what it is to be, you know, just a human being and all human beings encounter sexuality in their own way and just not shaming LGBTQ plus people because of that. Um, So thank you for adding that insight as well. um, Beyond just the mental health, I really appreciate that thoughtful answer. And just to get in the bill a little bit, because I think people deserve to, to know just a little bit more about like the creation of it and like what it means. So SB3 in Tennessee was signed into law on March 2nd of 2023 by Governor Bo Lee in Tennessee. According to a report from NPR, Republican state representative Chris Todd, who sponsored the anti-drag bill in Tennessee, had never seen a drag performance in his district. Yet the bill bars male or female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to a prurient interest from performing on public property or in an area where minors would be present. Prurient is defined as having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. Uh, Can you speak to some of the assumptions that the bill makes and maybe how you would debunk those assumptions? Yeah, so I guess like the biggest assumption that the bill makes is that there there is an inherent sexual nature and a purient sexual nature that is inherent in drag but then does not go on to even begin to define what drag is. Well, I, I should also say the bill does not say the word drag. It says male or female impersonators, but then it doesn't really define that. So, so I think, you know, there's a whole philosophical discussion about what is the line of gender? Like what, what clothes am I allowed to wear? If I'm making a garment, if I have a garment that was made for me, but it's a dress, but 
my gender is defined by my genitalia. So you would say I'm a, like they would say I'm a male in in their logical system. Um, so is this um, is this my men's clothing or not? It, am I female impersonating? Like, what's the line? So I, I think that's where you start to see like the vagueness that that led to sort of this original um, stopping of the bill. Um, beyond that, uh, period interest is a very interesting one. Um, I think typically the standard. I'm not a lawyer by any means, but this is my best understanding of it. Typically, I think the Miller test is the name of the test test that they use. Um, to define something as period, and it it has to hit like three or four different like subcategories, and I think it has to hit all of them. Like it's not just like if this, then it's like if this, if this, if this, then it is. So I think when you look at all of that, and the fact that like the bill even it's it's an amendment. It's not a brand new bill. It's just an amendment to our current obscenity legislation. Um, so I think it's really just there to bully a community and to bully an ideology because like I, I've called it fascism a couple of times today. So I think what the intent is, because this bill came with a slew of other hateful bills. There was the gender affirming care ban. There was a bill that was going to allow county clerks to deny marriage licenses to same sex, interfaith and interracial couples. In 2023, they're introducing that in Tennessee. Like, ridiculous. Things that they're just, like they're so far overreaching and just from, you know, just ridiculous that it's like, how many of these were actually gonna stick? And so when you look at it in that context, it's like, oh, all of these are coming at a progressive, a liberal ideology. And if they are saying very loudly from the Hill that they've gerrymandered themselves onto, that we don't like this here. The point is to get liberal voters, progressive voters, leftist voters to go, screw it, I'm out. Because what's happening is they're losing ground in Tennessee. They just redistricted last year and districts they had just gerrymandered, they won by five, six percentage points. That's the best you can do? In districts you just gerrymandered? Like, you're, you're gonna start losing. Like, you're gonna start losing and they know they are, so they're trying to scare out progressive voters. Um, like the assumption of things being being sexual in nature, like they're they're just not, you know? Like, go back to the to the Beyonce thing. Like, so if I am wearing the same costume as Beyonce and doing the same dance moves on stage because I have a penis tucked into my six layers of Lycra, it's a big deal. Like, why Why is it, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's so much vagueness, so much confusion. Like, where is the line? And there shouldn't be, a, and like, there shouldn't be a legislated line I really I'm you know it's politicized it's yeah no I see I just see the frustration yeah. <laughs> and the 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 tiredness yeah. probably of just continuing to like re-explain something honestly that people are people know what they're doing and it's it's just hateful bigotry is really what it is um you know it's being politicized when it really shouldn't and it's unfortunate they're politicizing it on purpose because I think they I think they also know that, like Chris Todd, like their constituents have also not attended a drag show. So their constituents are going to believe what they tell them a drag show is. So it's a great boogeyman for them to get people riled up, especially when it's in kind of this general context of like queer content, which 
a lot of like more conservative people are at least trepidatious around. Um, so it's used to like rile people up, A, B, to scare out progressive voters. I mean, it's just voter manipulation. Like I can, I could guarantee you that if I met one of these legislators in a bar, in, they would not care. Like they are not gonna like have an issue about it or care. They might like say something shitty, but like they do not care like about me as a drag queen in one way or the other. They care about winning re-election, period. Like, that's it. And a lot of them, I think, care about, and once again, I'm talking about legislators, like, they care about winning re-election and, in a lot of cases, fascist control, um, which is terrifying. I mean, there are definitely people who are in the KKK in our state legislature. Like, I don't have proof of it, but, like, I would wager 20 bucks that I don't have that there are KKK members in Tennessee state legislature. That's just... That's what, the, that's what the state is, unfortunately, right now. And until people get more active about voting, until these people are, are brought to light, um, what can we do about it? Uh, I think people are going to appreciate that perspective as well, considering how much of a voice that we have as people to really vote and to put ourselves out there. So, and I know you're pretty much involved in that. So, awesome. And I want to currently update people too, because... Uh, a ruling by a federal judge on June 3rd of this year struck down SB3 as unconstitutional, citing that the law was too broad and vague. In other states like Arkansas, successful protesting and activism resulted in the state legislature changing its original anti-drag law to remove its discriminatory language against the ability for drag entertainers to perform. Both instances have resulted in successful overturns, but there are pros and cons to how each of these outcomes have resulted. What are your thoughts on the measures that are best to overturn discriminatory legislation? Do you think one way is more effective versus another? Um, I don't know that there's any one right way because what I'm finding through all of this is how complicated and how convoluted um, the electoral and legislative processes are in, in, I assume, each state. Tennessee is the one that I've become more familiar with, um, and I still don't think I could answer a lot of questions super well about it, just doing my best with what I do know. Um, I would say with Arkansas's, like, rewriting, that is probably a little bit more of, like, a safer answer as in like if that's what's gone into law with the rewrite then that's in that's in law whereas Tennessee's I think is like technically the bill is still law but there has been a case heard where a federal judge said no so that's the precedent that is set which is like like not a lawyer, but like my understanding is that they've set a precedent, but that bill is still law. And I don't know if it could be removed from law until we enter our next legislative session. That's my understanding of it. I could be incorrect with it. I don't know that there is one way with those that's better than the other. I think that, um, if you're familiar, I, th I think it's Justin Jones who says this. Um, uh, if you're not familiar with Justin Jones, he's one of the Tennessee three, um, incredible speaker, incredible leader, incredible advocate. Um, but uh, he often says it's it's not a it's a movement, not a moment. So it's not about like one way being the better way. It's about everybody doing what they can and getting involved and having a a a movement against this hateful legislation. Um, so like in Tennessee, um, 
you know, we started with sort of your classic, like, sit-in protesting, making our voices heard, make sure that, that we're there. But then what I had to talk to people about in Tennessee is that the Republicans have a super majority in our state legislature. Like, they can pass anything they want. There's, there's no stopping it based on the legislature's, you know, like, there's no, like, small margin in the middle where it's, like, convince four people and we're good kind of thing. It's not like that. So we kind of all knew from the jump that this was going to get signed into law. So it's like, what do we do about it? And what I try to lead my community in here in Tennessee is how do we change our cultural mindset? How do we make sure that the culture, that the people, that the constituents, the people around us, actual Tennesseans, understand the positive messages about drag, the truth about drag, that we're not any of these terrible things that they say, because there's just no evidence of it whatsoever. Um, so that's more where I've been. I've been like, let's make sure that we're getting out there and we're continuing to make art and that we're continuing to tell beautiful stories about queer people, beautiful stories about drag, that we're sharing our stories, that we're making a cultural mindset shift happen so that these monsters on Capitol Hill look like even bigger monsters next election cycle. So that's really kind of where I've been sort of shifting my mindset around it is like, how do we, how do we protest in a new way? How do we how do we make sure of the fact that we are aware of of the differences between, say, the civil rights movement of the 60s and the civil rights movement of the 2020s? The Internet is a big one. The Internet is a huge, huge difference there. And I think um, one thing I've also talked about a lot is understanding that the Internet, especially social media platforms, are algorithmically generated and pushed. So in that light. There is no bad click. A like is a like is a hate. Like any of those reactions is a reaction. It's engagement. Any comment is engagement. Any share is engagement. And the algorithms are designed to push things further if they've already gone kind of far. So if you keep that in mind, you have to realize that like even if you're sharing somebody's post to shame them, it's just going to signal boost them in general. So I, I do everything I can to not say the Tennessee governor's name. I refer to him by his title so that his actions are juxtaposed against what he should be doing. I do everything I can to not say the Florida governor's name. Whereas the names I do say are those like Justin Jones and Justin Pearson and Gloria Johnson and Heidi Campbell and like the short list of people that we need to be signal boosting, making sure that we're getting reelected, making sure that people know about their campaigns. Those are the names I always say. Um, so that both in like real life and on the internet, it's like, how do we make sure we're not signal boosting things? Like don't get baited into the comments. A lot of these people are just trolls. They're using a troll technique. They're just trying to get a rise out of you, whether they realize it or not, because it engages people. Like that's, that's what they're looking for. So in a lot of cases, we need to choose to disengage and or to redirect that, that need for engagement into our own communities, into other advocates into work that is positive and it's hard to do i get it like it's human nature to like want to be like bitch right like, right <laughs> fabulous i wish people could see that but <laughs> this will just be audio <laughs> but fabulous answer i really do appreciate you going in depth about the bill and really trying to just address all of those assumptions that that have been made and you know we will see you know i'm not a lawyer as well but we will see what happens with a lot of this anti-lgbtqia legislation um and it's just important for us to continue discussing uh what we we see as injustice 
So going a little bit into more about like the health connection and maybe the mental health benefits and also the physical health benefits, because I know that we spoke a little bit about that. One of my favorite shows, We're Here, shows the beneficial effect that performing in drag around supportive community members and being praised for a performance can have on someone's life. Whether the performer is LGBTQ plus and recently coming out or the person is performing for their loved one who is LGBTQ plus. Other potential mental health benefits that result from drag, freedom of expression is one that comes to mind for me. And your interactions with people, because we talked a little bit about stories and, you know, stories of, you know, drag entertainment and how that's impacted people. What benefits have you found that it provides people or even yourself? Well, you you mentioned freedom of expression. And I I think that like within freedom of expression, which is a um, fundamental American right, by the way, um, within that, there's there's having positive affirmation of just like your corporeal physical form. Just having like anybody just be like, yes, about like that's whether you're queer, like just being affirmed on this planet, like is positive for anybody's mental health. And I I love we're here. I think what especially um, being a Southerner and a proud Southerner, I, I think seeing them go into a lot of these sort of like rural places and understand that like we're taking up space in you know like a place that maybe was not specifically designed for us but if we can approach in a in an understanding and loving way that maybe like some minds can be changed some hearts can be changed some doors can be opened i think it's not even changed so much as opened because i think that that most people would tend towards love in general but fear gets in the way and shame gets in the way and so if we can have conversations that acknowledge the shame and the fear and affirm people in the fact that like they are not wrong for experiencing those human emotions then we can get to love emotionally the connections that people are provided through you know that art form is 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 really what speaks to people um the the yes i love it because I, I mean if you get a compliment like that i mean how do you not feel affirmed do you know what i mean um How does that not uplift you? Um, And just to see that for other people. So that's really great. And the connection of drag to the health of not only performers, but also the community is clear. Drag entertainment can uh, affords paying gigs that grant the ability for people to afford health care if they need it. Viewers of shows support businesses, particularly ones that are queer owned, which helps ensure the survival of LGBTQ plus people who need jobs yet may experience discrimination. As well, we've discussed that anecdotal and empirical based evidence exists that supports psychosocial benefits of drag. To expand a little bit more on the systems that really prevent people from connecting to it, for the person who is thinking about, you know, homophobia, transphobia, or anti LGBTQ plus prejudice that prevents them from enjoying a drag entertainment show. What do you say that they could probably find outside of that prejudice that helps them connect with the art form? Hmm. I mean, I think, like we were saying a second ago, like we have to get past the shame and the fear to get to the love. And I think that it maybe kind of circles back to what we were talking about earlier with understanding the context of America as a nation that lives in this like puritanical shame shadow. Um, And like so many are you familiar with a lock perchance 
Um, a lot. Uh huh. Um, they're a gender nonconforming um, speaker, and I'd say maybe like, like, this spiritual leader is probably a stretch, but they they talk in the context of spirituality a lot, but they talk a lot about how puritanical shame and shame for our bodies and sort of this inherent American misogyny like is is killing all of us. And I think that it's it's a little bit that. I mean, if you look at Gosh, anything that people are afraid of, you can always kind of, you can trace it back to one of two things. You can trace it back to a fear or hatred of, of melanin of any level, like non-whiteness, or a fear or hatred of women. Always. Um, that's just, that's where American hate and shame stems from. And I mean, I just saw a video of a lock recently talking about running into someone in the, in the street um, while they were wearing you know, something that would be described as a dress. And some like very cis hetero presenting um, male um, said, oh, I used to wear my mom's dresses as a kid. And Alok's response was, well, what happened? And it's not to say that wearing a dress makes you queer by any form. But like if you put on a piece of fabric that makes you experience joy, who cares what shape the piece of fabric is? What does that have to do with your gender or your sexuality? Like, not, you know, and, and so... I think realizing that like the system, the culture is what hurt all of us, then we can kind of get past it. Um, in the short term with drag, I, I, with a lot of people, like if they're even on the fence, just go to a drag show. Because so many people will come to their first drag show and leave like, this is the most fun I've ever had. Because I know, I know for me, like when I go to my shows, it's like, I'm gonna have fun, and then my job is to make sure that everybody else also has fun. Like that's what we're here for. We're here to we're here to escape climate collapse and <laughs> the fall of the American Empire. Like it's escapism. It's there for joy and to get away from all of that. And why should you not experience that just because it's gay people doing? You know what I mean? Like just because I have a dress or a cat suit on or some glitter or a wig. Like like why would you stop yourself from sharing in that joy? just because of literally misogynist gender norms written by Puritans 300 years ago. The Puritan history is, is you're doing history. <laughs> you're telling us the history for sure. Right. That's like my <laughs> biggest thing is that like they should have stayed in England. <laughs> Trade them. <laughs> uh, and, and again, connecting to back to health as well, you know, I, I heard from a theater critic once before because I took a class on uh, medicine as a way to uh, perform in a sense, but for patients because they believe what they see and they believe what they hear. Um, and it was interesting because the theater critic said we go to the theater for two things, either to ex escape, which you said our daily life or to be drawn in to the realities of our daily life. Uh, think drama or comedy. And I think that sort of appeal to entertainment, we share with everyone. Everyone has that need to either escape or to be drawn in for some reason. And as you've, as, as you suggested, that is a way that people can just go ahead and, put their prejudice aside and open themselves to a fun experience that I'm sure you more than have fun yourself providing. So I 
I really encourage people who are listening in right now who really haven't been to a show or rather are interested in, you know, knowing more about it and just getting in it and just being in that area to get out their comfort zone and getting out your comfort zone is so important as we try to understand the needs of the queer people of queer people and the health and wellness needs of the community how people can open themselves up to conforming connections and seeing people as people as we deserve to see each other as so yeah it's not in response to anything specifically you just said but it was something else i wanted to make sure it was said um not to be cliche, but RuPaul always says we're all born naked and the rest is drag. And I think that a lot of times, it, because it has become so often said, we don't take a, stop, a second to stop and think about what that means. Um, but all, all of us are born naked. Like every single human being on the planet born naked. And the point of the rest is drag is that every choice we make about how we present ourselves to the outside world from there on is just that, a choice. And that's all that drag is. It's just looking in the mirror and deciding, I would rather it look like this for this period of time. So we're all born naked and the rest is drag. And then beyond that, and this goes for both, you know, conservative and progressive listeners. Um, I heard somebody say recently that, that everything is either love or a request for love. Everything. It's one of the So if we can approach things that like you know um let's say that that um dm conversation between a teacher and a parent that's going around about a chest binder that's going around again recently where the teacher kind of approached it as like the parent was actually like expressing love in the words i don't want my kid being different in whatever way but the teacher managed to understand like okay like you're clearly feeling that way because you love and care about your child so how do we how do we focus that love in a way that meets both of your needs? Um, and then, you know, there's just times you see people that just they're saying hateful things. Oh, I saw a conversation recently um, about bullying where a parent told um, basically there was a neighborhood kid who, who was like bullying all the other neighborhood kids until finally the parent was like, hey, is everything OK at your house? And then the kid was basically like in, you know, different words, but no. And the parent then kind of like used that same technique was like, hey, like if you're feeling like somebody is treating you poorly at school, see if there's something they need help with. Is that a request for love? So, you know, again, the human human nature is going to tell us to protect ourselves, to survive first. But I think if we can start to kind of shift our mindset into like, we're all born naked, the rest is drag, vote. It's either love or a request for love and quit fighting people on the internet <laughs> and we'll quit all be being better. a troll quit quit trolling please we we, we need uh-huh. actual and quit allowing people to troll you. yes yes and quit allowing people to troll you so i really wanted to though get into your future involvements specifically because you're doing a lot of work in your locality to uplift the well-being of people and to provide opportunities for people to be in the industry. So you are slowly changing the hearts and minds of people against drag, entertainment, and performance 
through your advocacy and actions, where do you see your advocacy for the community going? And how do you plan to maintain course with your current involvements? Um, you know, I feel like with advocacy, um, a lot of times my mindset is very like, what's the here and now? Like, obviously, you have to think to the future a little bit, but it's kind of like, what are we dealing with today? Like, what's the what's the big thing to focus on? Um, and, you know, I'm reasonably new to like super intentional advocacy work. So like my thoughts on that may change. Um, but I think that it always has to be centered in the context of what's going on around you. Um, I definitely intend to maintain course currently, especially as it pertains to HIV advocacy work, um, getting people registered to vote, getting people excited about voting, and getting people um, the information they need to vote in an empowered manner. That's a big thing that I talk about. Obviously, um, when we're having these conversations, you know, we got to talk about what are our legislators voting for? Why are we voting for these people? What information do we have access to? How is it manipulated? Um, it's very complicated, but that's kind of like the big things I'm focused on now. Obviously, I'm out there just by being in drag, advocating for drag. I mean, a lot of the events I do are in spaces that are not typically considered like wholly queer spaces, like hotels um, I do a lot of work with, and we provide queer entertainment in those spaces. So advocating for my community in that sense, as well as just kind of advocating for increased pay and better treatment for performers of all creeds um, and walks of life. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a very holistic approach. Um, I like to tell people that like, when it comes to advocacy work, like once again, it's a movement, not a moment. Um, we are all enough and we're all, like we need to be able to tell ourselves, I am enough and I'm doing enough. Because if we get wrapped up in this like, I need to fix the world tomorrow, then nothing gets done. But if seven billion people all decided today to do just a little bit we could get a lot closer than we are important important thank you so much and lastly what other ways besides listening into this episode can people protect drag from continuing to be criminalized and or simply get involved in lgbtqia plus advocacy what message would you have for those people you are enough and you're doing enough in that vein wanting to get involved is a great start um there are so many ways i'm gonna like drop a couple here if you are somebody of financial affluence or means who like giving money is a way that works for you a ton of great organizations to look into here in tennessee inclusion tennessee the tennessee equality project um ACLU of Tennessee, HRC Nash, beyond that, the national chapters of the Americans with Civil Liberties Union um, and HRC are great options. Make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure your friends are registered to vote. Vote locally, vote often. Stop arguing on social media. <laughs> um, go to a drag show. Go out into your community in general, just beyond drag. It doesn't have to be specifically drag, but like, be willing to support and experience the arts whether it's music or visual art or drag or whatever, like get out into your community and and support and experience those things because without it, we're just gonna, I mean, it's just a concrete jungle otherwise, you know? Like wherever you live, if you live in a city and you're not involving yourself in art, like you're just walking amongst the skyscrapers. With Music City Prep Clinic, as well as Nashville Cares, I'm gonna again plug that in to say that those organizations exist and those are ways again that organizations outside of the government per se doing its work are 
actual innerly actually intervening and mitigating the health disparities that we see in the community and uh we can also be advocating for that um throughout this whole process because again when we talk about the legislation that is passing when we talk about the criticism that is being um said against our community that ultimately that just speaks to the health and wellness of the people and to improve that we have to we have to band together in groups and organizations like those that you've mentioned as well as the work that you do just and you just said like promoting those organizations are great ways for people to get involved so i really do hope people can take something away from that absolutely and and i i just i, I want to reiterate like again the movement not a moment like every little bit is worth it thing because i mean it literally can be like just as small as like just sharing like a link to the aclu drag defense fund on your social medias like that's that's advocacy like you're you're helping you're helping signal boost uh so it can literally be that small so like if you're stopping yourself from involving yourself on that micro level because you feel like you haven't gone to enough protests or you feel like you don't know enough about the legislation or you feel like you can't donate enough money like that's that's not a thing like just any little bit you can do even as small as just liking a social media post do it like do that's part of the movement so get involved in the movement in whatever way you can because once again it's a movement not a moment i love it i love it thank you so much for coming to the equity podcast at this point i'm going to officially end the recording and then we can chat a little bit after i'm going to repeat this rupaul quotation that nadalia gave because it's just so true We are all born naked. The rest is drag. Banning drag does not get rid of our need as human beings to express ourselves through clothes, accessories, gadgets, and other items that make us feel like we belong. Additionally, getting rid of drag does not protect children or make our society less obscene. Instead, it disadvantages LGBTQ plus people from working jobs as drag entertainers and prevents drag entertainers from publicly advocating for the health and wellness of the queer community through performance. These discriminatory actions arguably contribute to the health disparities that we see in the queer community today. And as mentioned before, non-LGBTQ plus people love a drag show. We're all in this together and receive a significant societal benefit. The drag community needs us to stand with them in fighting against criminalization. Will you join? Thank you for listening in. If you would like to learn more about how to get involved and or donate to efforts related to fighting anti-drag legislation, text DRAG to 472-472, after which you'll receive a message from the Human Rights Campaign. As well, if you're local to Tennessee or want to learn more about the existence of a successfully operating PrEP-only clinic in the South, visit musiccityprep.org. And to read on the history of Nashville Cares and the great work being done in Tennessee to combat HIV AIDS since 1985, visit nashvillecares.org. And to read on the history of Nashville Cares and the great work being done in Tennessee to combat HIV AIDS since 1985, visit nashvillecares.org. Let's continue to push the conversation more on Instagram at Equity Podcast or on Twitter at Equity Pod. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care until then.